The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. I'll admit, I wasn't the most well-adjusted kid. You know those parents in supermarkets dragging a screaming and kicking bundle with them through the candy aisle? That one bossy kid in the playground who somehow managed to always get the best toys and never help clean up? Sharing wasn't really one of my virtues, and you still better not touch my food. But I'm learning that sharing is a good thing, even when you don't expect it to be. At the World Summit AI, I discovered a vibrant, growing, and collaborative community of academics, business leaders, and regulators alike, who all seem to share an unspoken but unwavering belief. When it comes to AI, we're better together. My name is Liao Wang, and in this episode, I'll take you with me to a gathering of the biggest names in AI right now, organized by Inspired Minds and made possible by Microsoft. First up, Patricia Florisi, CTO at Dell EMC. What's her role in all of this? Dell Technologies is a family of seven strategic aligned businesses, and Dell EMC is just one of the seven. Mm-hmm. So it in- Dell Technologies includes VMware, RSA, Pivotal, CQWorks, um, uh, Virtustream, Dell Inc., and Dell EMC. Mm-hmm. Dell EMC focuses on uh, the essential information infrastructure for businesses of today and tomorrow. Dell Technologies' mission as a whole is to drive human progress to tra- through technology. Yeah. So what does artificial intelligence mean for the business of Dell EMC and for your day-to-day work? We actually believe that artificial intelligence will touch companies in uh, four different ways, especially technology companies like ourselves. It's about how we use artificial intelligence internally to provide better customer service, to actually do preventive or predictive maintenance of uh, the devices we supply. The second one is how we embed AI into the products, uh, for example, to actually be able to predict what are the applications that will be run and what is the data those applications are going to use mm-hmm. and provide the most efficient infrastructure. The third one is to actually manufacture products that uh, uh, help companies to use AI. So we have uh, uh, solutions um, where we have architected and designed uh, uh, special architectures for deep learning models, uh, training and inference for machine learning, training and inference that helps uh, organizations to accelerate their adoption. And last but not least is how we all um, invest financially in AI companies. Right. So what's really interesting to me about that is it sounds like you're really investing in bringing artificial intelligence into the fabric of our being rather than like one big Uh robot that we'll use for whatever. It's going to be part of all the things we do day to day and make it easier and better. Yes, I think that uh, one of the, uh, when we talk about AI, everybody thinks about scientific fiction, about uh, uh, robots that behave like human or the artificial general uh, intelligence. But I very much like when there is intelligence embedded or interwoven 
woven in everything we do in, uh, and it helps us, augments our ability to do reasoning, augments our, um, our ability to do decision-making that helps the world, not just us, but society as a whole and makes the world far more sustainable. Yeah, so that hybrid intelligence, if you will, helps us find solutions that we couldn't find on our own. I love the term hybrid solution. I have not heard before. We talk about human-machine uh, um, uh, intelligence partnership, but that hybrid intelligence, I think, or the augmented intelligence, where humans are uh, enhanced enhance their cognitive ability with algorithms that are capable of processing a bigger amount of information that we can in near real time. That's the win-win situation. Right. And I can imagine for all these little um, improvements that we're creating in the fabric of, of our lives, you need a lot of data collection, but you also learn a lot from, from actually building that. What are some surprising things that, that you found out through implementing something else, perhaps, that you didn't expect? I think that sometimes you are um, surprised that when the model learns an aspect that you didn't think about before, right? And when it identifies a pattern that you didn't know it was there. And I think that with deep learning, where um, you can actually feed the models with many more uh, features and you can draw uh, models that are far more complex, that's where you get the ability to truly learn something we don't know. Because yeah. today when we have AI for point solutions. We are trying to teach the machine to learn what we know how to do, but we cannot do at that capacity. But uh, the best surprise is when the machine learns something that you didn't know. <laughs> can, you, can you give an example of when that happened? Uh, I would say that uh, we we have models that are trying to do pattern recognition and we want to actually identify uh, faces mm -hmm. and the model actually learns that there is a pattern on the, uh, on the hair or the way that actually people gaze at an object that is very different from where people gaze at uh, a different category of objects. So it taught you something about human emotions unexpectedly. Correct. I think that uh, um, we have been with deep learning so far, trying to do what I call the basics, right? How you recognize a face, how do you recognize a clock, a table, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. And we forget about, uh, or we don't forget, it's just that we didn't have time yet, or we didn't get there yet, of how to actually analyze how humans themselves observe the world around us. So it's like a recursive AI you have a sensor that actually captures a value from the outside. And now the sensor is capturing how we sense the world. The secondary effects of the it. The secondary effect of it, and maybe the tertiary effect of it, right? How do people that are looking at us sense the, our emotions that was sensed by the sensors, right? <laughs> and it goes on and, it goes on, and on and on. And, on. <laughs> and then do you use that accidental knowledge that you gain, in, in this case about human emotions when they look at something, for, for other applications? Uh, absolutely. And I think that's where um, we touch life sciences as well, because now it's not just about at AI, we are very model-centric. 
Now that we learn this, we make that a model that we can stack in another model and make our models better. But I think that in the future, what we actually learn needs to have a much more efficient feedback loop with, uh, um, with life sciences itself to inform the scientists where, uh, what we have learned. Yeah, so the human aspect of interpreting what the AI spits out is exactly. getting more and more important. And not only interpreting, but leveraging that knowledge back into how we study humans as a whole. Yeah. Because we might build the technology, but if no one uses it, then why, why are we doing it, right? <laughs> exactly. And then what I'm hearing you say is that the community aspect, both within AI and from AI to the adjacent industries and fields, is getting more and more important. I actually don't think that AI is adjacent to the fields. AI is interwoven into all the fields. And I actually believe that AI is actually becoming a connecting point among the fields, right? Life sciences didn't touch, I don't know, uh, autonomous driving or driving at all, but now they are one in the same, if you will, because we are trying to understand how humans react when they see things in the world and how fast they can react so that uh, um, if we need a human decision that we actually are very much more, we connect the human in time. So I actually think that AI is bringing many fields together. AI as the connecting fabric between many scientific and business fields. Patricia Florisi, CTO at Dell EMC. Next up, Mikhail Parakin, CTO of Yandex, who I had just fangirled from afar during his keynote on stage. You see, Yandex is one of those fascinating mysteries to me. A company that you know exists, that you know must be huge and advanced, but that's in a completely different part of the world. In this case, Russia. So you're the Silicon Valley of Russia. And Seattle area. And, <laughs> right. Um, can you give an, give an example of, of the kind of things that you do? So, yeah, obviously we are the biggest search engine in Russia and uh, surrounding countries. We are a very large sort of internet advertising company. Uh, we have joined our forces with Uber recently. Uh, so we are the largest... Uh, taxi hailing, right? My largest, I think, online retailer in the country and like few other things like that. So yeah. it's search, mm. it's mobility, it's e-commerce, it's yes. classifieds. Everything. Everything. Yes. Okay, okay. And um, you mentioned that you've also been working on weather. Oh, yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I was just uh, telling people on stage is that we tend to talk about AI and machine learning uh, in terms of those great new, big new things, Absolutely. you know, like self-driving cars coming and, uh, uh, I don't know, digital assistants that, you know, robots that are starting talking to you. But what we forget is actually lost, uh, lots of applications, maybe most of interesting applications are happening to the stuff that we're very familiar with, you know, we're sort of mundane stuff that's fabric of our lives and they're becoming much better with uh, AI applied to them. And uh, weather forecasting, for example, we started doing it a few years ago. Uh, we started building our own models because it turns out that nobody really is interested in improving weather forecasting. You know, the government agencies really? mostly... Yeah, it was a surprise for me. The government agencies mostly worry about airplanes and the forecasting for 
uh, you know, like marine shippers and uh, various commercial applications like that. Wait, that so how old are the weather models we used so before you started? It was like 50s, 50s. And there's like what you see on TVs is mostly still the, the same kind of Navier Stokes equations being solved. Wow. Even though the technology moved quite a bit further. And so when we went ahead and applied, you know, modern machine learning to it, we were able to literally reproduce, you know, back to the future accuracy. You know, remember the, the, there's a great scene in Back to the Future when the, the guy says, oh, the rain stops in 17 mm-hmm. seconds and then the rain actually stops. So, honest to God, we really actually have it right now in production, uh, the up to the second forecast of, of uh, when the rain starts and stops. And you can, you can see even the, you know, on your mobile apps uh, scrolling how the cloud's going to move and where the rain right. front's going to go. And so you, you would know that. It, and it turned out to be not that difficult. The technology was really there. Just nobody actually Used applied it. it. Yeah. So we, we have Bayeradar in, uh, in the Netherlands, which you probably know since you've been living in Amsterdam for a few years. So how much better is what you're doing versus Bayeradar? Well, I cannot really compare in, in that sense. And we are working in, like, we don't really have, com- uh, you know, comparisons with them on, in the same market. We mostly uh, compare our accuracy forecast in, in the areas where you know most of our customers live with comparing with government agencies accuracy compared with the publicly available sort of uh, mm-hmm. uh, commercially available i would say uh, forecast from private companies and yeah there our accuracy is significantly higher like i yeah i wouldn't we don't really do that much for for western europe so i wouldn't compare there yeah directly. okay but mm-hmm. compared to eastern europe what what are the big differences you see having applied these algorithms instead of you know the 1950s way of doing it? So of course, first first of all, it's much more accurate. I mean, you can predict the temperatures. We very often contradict uh, situations when the government to say, oh, there will be some some big, I don't know, squall or or some some big disaster. And we're like, no, nah, there's not going to be. And then and sometimes <laughs> the other way around. But uh, the more important things is that you can also go much more fine grained So you know, like if you know your at work for the most of the day and you don't care if it rains or not, but you are planning to walk, you know, I don't know, walk your dog at 7 p.m. and you do care if it's going to rain at 7 p.m. Yeah. or uh, whether you need to take an umbrella or not. The main point is that not, not really the weather. Weather is just one of the you know, thousands of things that we are doing. The main point is even something fairly mundane and you know, regular that you, we've lived for you know, de- decades with you know, becomes better and we don't even realize it until at some point, you know, we sort of snap out of it. It's like, yeah, we didn't used to have it. You know, like we had this experience with our Deep HD, another this little thing, technology that, that uh, sort of works on something very familiar. It's a way of uh, applying modern technology, modern machine learning to make old movies look much better. Mm. And so, you know, like you would be watching, I don't know, Gone with the Winds you know, for the thousandth time and you're like, yeah. And then at some point you would just realize, well, wait a second, I'm watching it on 4K resolution and it's all crisp and every detail is there. You yeah. know, how, how is that possible? Because they, you know, they, they, they didn't have that technology back when they were filming. So, so AI is already mm. in the fabric of our lives without us realizing it. Exactly. And, and, and making it better. So I think the most impact is actually on the things that we don't, don't, you sort of take for granted and we lived for a long time and we don't really realize how they're changing. You know, the yeah. accuracy of uh, buses arriving, you know, the scheduling, the, the easiness with which you can call a taxi, all things like that are, are what, what really is exciting to me about yeah. the, the applications yeah. of AI. So how important is the ecosystem surrounding it, especially if AI is going to be present in so many aspects of our lives? So that's, uh, that's a very good question. Like one thing that 
I think almost unique in terms of big sort of fast moving development like AI is that it's completely open and shared. You know, we it, there is this unspoken rule where all the companies ended up agreeing kind of I don't even understand how it how it came up to be like like almost you know sim- simultaneously and unconsciously agreed that we're going to share everything and we'll build this ecosystem because that's what makes us move the fastest right yeah. so like Google and Yandex and Facebook and all the companies publish all their research and the same conferences and so uh, no really Chinese AI or you know uh, New Zealanders AI. There's this, there's just AI. With same same conferences. Every new discovery gets published, and then you know, of course, every commercial company tries to run applications on it, but keeps on feeding back the discoveries that we make, and uh, that creates the whole ecosystem where you can talk and uh, socialize well. But w- the most important thing is that it drives the innovation much faster, yeah. and uh, to my sort of way of thinking it prevents the abuses that otherwise might have been you know like it's not like nuclear bomb that you can sneak in your little corner and don't tell anybody and just you mm-hmm. know research and then build right and nobody knows how to do it it's it's the, whatever we build everybody knows and uh, and because of that makes it very positive you can't really do lots of bad things with it because everybody has the same yeah exactly yeah and, it, and that struck me actually on stage and at this conference too is that I guess everyone is a competitor of everyone, but at the same time, it feels very collaborative. This is surprising, isn't it? Right? Like I don't see that in many other industries. So, but yeah, we we hang out all together with colleagues of different companies. You know, we're not not really colleagues as just normal junior developers. You know, yeah. even even the big honchos, you know, who actually have a lot of loose in, in competition with each other, we're still sort of super friendly and share lots of things. I, I picture it as there is this main sort of springing source of, of goodness in AI that, that is, is being shared by everybody. And I, I, I think that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. AI gives us the tools to, to solve the big problems of our time in a whole new way that we, we didn't have before. What's the one problem that you'd like to look at using AI? Yeah, well, one thing I'm always was interested in is whether we are all living in one big simulation or not. I, you know, kind of matrix kind of thing where I recently uh, read pretty interesting arguments uh, claiming that we are. Uh, so, I mean, it's half joking, half actually serious because, uh, you know, there is still... I'm a physicist by training even though i worked all my life in machine learning and... Uh, Currently in, in physics, when I talk to my friends, they're sort of frustrated that, you know, there is this standard model and it all is always kind of being confirmed and every new yeah. oh, Higgs boson, just exactly as we predicted. Like, there we is, got it all. Yeah. And so if it's all a sim- simulation, then there is whole new out there dimension <laughs> that we can explore and it's, it's much more exciting. So are we living in the matrix? Apparently, there's a 20% chance. Mikhail Barkin, CTO of Yandex, a.k.a. the Google of Russia. AI carries the promise of being able to tackle big and small problems for individuals and for all of humanity. Ideas can come from anyone, anywhere. Here to tell you more about how you can contribute is Devin Kropman, director of XPRIZE. What we try to do is identify a grand challenge area where the government may not have the resources or in the private industry may not have the private incentive to solve for that grand challenge. So we try to find that nexus and then open it up through a large crowdsourced competition. So we, what kind of challenges do you typically do? 
Well, the first one we were known for was the Insari X Prize, uh, and the IP from that was bought by Virgin Galactic and launched the private space industry. But now we're running prizes in education, ocean health, um, renewable energy, AI, and robotics. Okay, so really AI for good. Correct. So say, you know, I have this dream, I want to contribute to education, and I hear about XPRIZE, then what? What happens? Yeah, so the first part is to go, to go to our website, xprize.org, and then look for the specific prizes. So the IBM Watson AI XPRIZE and the ANA Avatar XPRIZE. Those websites are pretty easy to find right on our, web, our main website. And then from there, you'll be asked to fill out a basic form, just your name, contact information. And then from there, we'll reach out to you directly and gain your interest, see what you want to do. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of curate what's best for you. You know, uh, we'll walk you through the submission process, walk you through what your goals are, and we'll answer any questions right away. Okay, so I won't need to have to submit a resume or a big application or a big, you know, business case. No, not 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 no, not at all. The first the first step is to just give us some basic information. We'll reach out to you and we'll contact and we'll plan around what works best for you and and your team and your ideas. Um, so no matter your background, your age, um, where you live in the world, we welcome that and we want to imp- have you part of our ecosystem. And what does that ecosystem look like? So the ecosystem is widespread and diverse. So it's uh, it's competitors who could be high school teams, college teams. It could be startup companies. It could be companies that have existed for a long time. Um, but it's also domain experts. So it could be academics, um, scientists who want to provide mentorship. It could be pitch coaches. It could be VCs. It's a very diverse ecosystem that we have. So whenever you have a competition ready, the first thing you'll do is start looking for the people who can support your competitors. Right, exactly. So when we launch a, uh, an X Prize, we want to make sure that we understand the industry that we're going into and we're liaising with the right people. So whether it's education or AI, we want to work with those experts and have their support as we launch this, these competitions. Very cool. Yeah. And then how do you help your um, the, the entrants in your competition to get where they need to go? Right, so this is an area where X Prize is really improved upon in the last you know five to six years is um, connecting our teams with uh, VCs, um, mentors, coaches. So whether it's an investment summit or getting pitch coaching or simply connecting teams to domain experts, that's what we really try to specialize in. And being in LA, we have this great ne- network, being in Silicon Beach, and we can connect teams to a lot of those kinds of individuals. It's kind of a hybrid between a competition and an incubator, if you will. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. You know, I think we started off as this competition company, uh, and we sort of evolved into a competition, and now we're an incubator, and we want to help these teams because the teams are the ones that do the work. And um, you've told me that you have two competitions running right now, two X Prizes. Yeah, so there's two X Prizes that we're currently recruiting for. So we, we have about seven active prizes, but two that we're actively recruiting for teams for. And one is the IBM Watson AI X Prize, and the other one's the ANA Avatar X Prize which is focused on robotics. And uh, we're recruiting teams and judges and mentors for both those competitions right now. So tell me, what's the challenge for those? So the challenge for the IBM Watson AI XPRIZE is pretty simple. We're asking teams from around the world to set their own grand challenge, so it's different than other XPRIZES. We say, tell us your grand challenge and how can you use AI, machine learning, deep learning to solve that. So that could be disaster prediction, drug relapse prevention. Uh, and solving grand challenges, focusing on humanity. So we believe on this principle of AI for good, and that's what we're trying to prove with the IBM Watson AI X Prize. So you're basically inviting people to do something 
great for humanity using AI. And yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. Exactly. We're trying to continue this new dialogue on AI for good. Uh, we really believe where we are in AI today, that we can kind of continue this new conversation about how can humans and machines collaborate together to better humanity and solve some grand challenges out there. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever your experience with AI, XPRIZE welcomes you. And here to show us where a competition like this can bring you are the winners of the Inspiring 50 Juniors, six amazing young girls who I want to be like when I grow up. Hi, I'm Joanna. I'm 17 and I'm a social entrepreneur. I've just founded a charity which works to bridge the socioeconomic gap for young girls pursuing typically male stereotypical fields such as STEM and social sciences. Hi, um, I'm Yasmin. I'm also 17. I'm a computer scientist and I'm very much working on mobile applications that use uh, lots of different frameworks and I'm hopefully trying to integrate AI within them. I'm Luana Hull. I'm currently working on a machine learning AI project which uses images to, to kind of diagnose skin conditions. So I'm really passionate about AI, technology, and of course, helping girls get into technology. Hi, I'm Rose Dyson. I'm from Yorkshire. I started my own cosmetics company called Pura Cosmetics when I was 15 years old. We manufacture and retail lip care cosmetics that are all natural, cruelty-free, vegan, but at purse-friendly prices. Um, I, tech has been really influential in the success in the, in the company so far, and I just want to inspire loads of young girls to get in involved in entrepreneurship and consider careers in business. Hi, I'm Sarah and yeah, recently I've just really got into technology. I've been going to hackathons and different AI-based events um, around Europe. I went to the UN AI for Good Summit and the EU uh, Good for Humankind Summit. There I was able to talk about the impact of AI in education in particular, as well as ensuring that girls get involved in tech and have like great opportunities to make sure that we live in like a world where we can get as equal as possible. Hi, I'm Andrea. Uh, I'm 17 and I'm passionate about all things about technology, electronics and creativity. Okay, so I'm just thinking what I was doing when I was 17. I was just probably, you know, going out and hitting on guys. <laughs> so, so Yasmin, for instance, what Tell me about your journey. What brought you here? Um, a lot of it was by accident. So um, I first got into coding through looking at websites. And basically, as a power-hungry child, I sat and thought, websites are cool. You can put whatever you want on them. So I want one. <laughs> and so from there, of course, I had to teach myself how to make one. And then it turned from just a small pretty rubbish HTML web page and I just learned and learned and learned more languages to make it more complex and then from there with smartphones I decided that's where I want to be. And you did that all by yourself? Did you have help? How, not, how did you do that? Not really, no. Um, my parents, well my mother, she doesn't know how to text so help was fairly minimal but I, I'm quite lucky in the sense that I was left to my own devices largely. Everything I needed to succeed was given to me. I just needed to realise that I could do it. And when I did, I, I just went there. I that went almost sounds like anyone can do it, but I can't imagine that's true. <laughs> I mean, if I can do it, I'm, I, I have to admit, in other aspects of life, I am pretty average. <laughs> 
if I can do it. I think anyone can. You've just got to have the right tools and just the motivation. If you don't have the motivation, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. So drive matters. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and Rose, you mentioned that your drive, amongst other things, is getting girls into business, getting girls into tech. What yeah. do you feel is required to make that happen? I think just lots of opportunities need to be in place more for girls and young boys as well, particularly at school level, so high school enterprise challenges, stuff like that. It would be amazing if it be incorporated into the curriculum because entrepreneurship as well provides so much in terms of leadership, confidence. When I was a kid, I was probably the shyest little thing you would ever see. I my can't mom, imagine my, that at all. <laughs> no, honestly, I was. Uh, I didn't literally spoke to no one. My mum was, like, concerned for me when I was younger. But she always, like, took me to clubs, my mum, and, like, dancing, everything. And she basically thought, oh, she'll find what she likes and she'll do her own thing. But I wanted to do everything, and our weekends were packed. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that determination streak, and I think a lot of young girls do as well. And I think they just need to basically adopt that into a career that they really really are passionate about right, and they right. can achieve anything when you put your mind to it so it's inside you it's inside everyone you just sometimes need that little push to get it out yeah whether it be sport science tech anything any sort of career it, it's basically yeah achievable yeah so you've been lucky enough to have part of that push in this competition Uh, Luina, do you want to expand on what this competition means for you? I think it's a really great way to show girls all over the UK and (laughs) kind of international because people can see this from all around the world to show girls that there are people doing this, that it is possible. So to me, it means that there will be role models for people. And that's really important if we want to establish this gender balance, gender equality, if we want to get that 50-50 ideal balance in tech. So I feel like this competition is important as it highlights what girls can do, how, how amazing and how powerful we can be. Role models matter. You've had role models and you are role models now. Joanna, who can you think of someone who was your role model who maybe drove you to this? Um, I, it's interesting. I get this question a lot. And what I really think is that I don't actually have a role model um, in the sense of someone who has done this. They're in the industry. They know everything there is to know about tech or business or whatever. I actually thrive off of people around me who are similar to me. So all the girls around this table right now are my role models <laughs> because they show me that um, a young person from any background, any race, any gender, any anything can be whoever they want to be if they put their mind to it. And I think that's a really powerful thing to see yeah. people like you. So you are here at the World AI Summit in Amsterdam. What would you say is the most exciting thing or the most you know, inspiring thing you've seen up until now? I think it's definitely trying to convince people that even young people should be involved in the conference. I think quite a lot of people think that just because we're young that we're naive and arrogant and don't understand the concepts of um, AI, technology, business, whatever you want to include it really. And so definitely being here today, I really hope inspired other people to think differently about young people. Definitely including the fact that we're as capable as any other person just because yeah. we're not adults. Age doesn't matter. Yeah, age doesn't matter, but yet you don't see many young people here today. So creating diversity, I think it's definitely what I want to take away from this uh, AI conference. conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Andrea, I love the badge that you have because it says 
girl boss. Um, you know, you just talked about how important it is to involve young people and how surprising it is that there are very few young people here. Um, if you could give advice, what would that be? To stay curious, um, stay passionate, grab every opportunity you can, whether big or small, because you don't know where it might take you. Grab every opportunity and be more like these girls. And this was only the beginning. Tune in next time for more from the World Summit AI. You can find me at bnr.nl slash AI podcast or through your favorite podcast app.